Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Generosity is generosity when it's sacrificial. And some of you think you're generous because you let a few things out of your hands that really didn't cost you anything. When David wanted to be generous to God, he didn't let Aruna give him the threshing floor. He said, I'm going to pay for it because I'm not going to give the Lord something that doesn't cost me anything. And you ought to think that way, really, when you start evaluating how generous you are. How generous are you? Really, think about it. If Christians are filled up with the Holy Spirit, then we should be the most generous people around. But are we? Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares challenges us to be more generous, to look for opportunities to care for others, even when it costs us. I'm your host, Dave Drewy. We're looking at the example of Tabitha in Acts chapter 9, verses 36 to 43, as Pastor Mike continues with part two of a message titled, The City of Joppa, prepared by a godly example. The passage that we're studying today at the end of chapter nine in the book of Acts, there's one person that I want you to look at as we get to the bottom of the chapter, starting in verse 36. I I want us to see her as a template for what you and I need to, to work on. And so let me introduce you to this gal. I'm sure you've read about her before, if you know your Bibles, but let's Read it. I'll read it for you in the English Standard Version, verses 36 through 43. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. But here's the description of her. She was full of good works and acts of charity. Full of good works and acts of charity. She is going to die and be resurrected, which is a huge demonstration of God's power. In those days, verse 37, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, which they traditionally did before they usually wrapped them in spices and put them in a crypt or a tomb or in the ground, they laid her instead in an upper room. Since Lydda, where we were last week, about 11, 12 miles away, was near Joppa, the disciples hearing that Peter was there, Peter's the senior pastor of the megachurch in Jerusalem. He's also an apostle. He was also there as a part of Jesus's ministry. I mean, he's, he's a big, big guy, big gun. They said, well, we got the big gun here, and he's just, you know, a few hours away. They sent two men urging him, please come to us without delay. We got a a body, a corpse in an upper room, and she's dead, and we'd like you to come. So this is going to take a few hours to get there, going to take a few hours to get back on foot, but would you come right now? Verse 39, so Peter rose, and he went with them. And when they arrived, they took him to the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him weeping. And they were showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, and he knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Verse 41, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Mind-boggling, mind-blowing, the only resurrection We have Peter, only two in Acts. I mean, this is huge. It's a big deal. It's a really rare in the Bible, less than 10. This is a big, big deal, obviously. And it became known, as it would become known if we had a resurrection at a funeral here. It became known all throughout Joppa. And many believed 
in the Lord. That word, by the way, if you think back to where we ended the last pericope, that last historical reference to what was going on in Lod or in Lydda, it talked about people, epistrepha, turning to the Lord. We talk about repentance and faith around here all the time. Those are the two commands in response to the gospel. And that little pericope ended with that idea that they turned to the Lord, a ton of people in Lydda. Now we have believed, right? They believed in the Lord. This is great. This is meant to be read together. So Peter stays in Joppa, this town, for many days with one Simon the Tanner. Here is a gal that the people love so much in their church they thought if there's any chance that that apostle there, the senior pastor down there in that huge church and that person that hung out with Christ could come and do something that Christ did, we want her back. And, and so they rushed to get him. He comes back and she's risen from the dead. But I want to talk about this gal and what she had that I, ha- I have to think played into to this whole narrative of a town turning to the Lord, that they were ready for this demonstration of the power of God and they, they were apt to hear it because they had a life that was demonstrating this love that Christ kept saying would be a demonstration and a characteristic of a real transformative virtue in your life that would change people's opinion of you guys. Oh, well, the power of God's gonna change their opinion. Well, that's true. Look down where we go to see some examples of it. It says there in verse 39, when he arrived, he was taken up to the upper room and all the widows, can know those are gals in need, right? They don't have husbands anymore stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with him. So she is giving of herself, not just giving them a Coles card and saying, hey, here's 25 bucks, go buy yourself a blouse. But she's sitting there with the weaver's spindle and she's, she's making clothing for people. That is an amazing thing. Someone's in need, she meets that need, and she's working. She, I even like that phrase, good, not good deeds, but good works, right? She's working to show this kind of love within the church. She's showing that love outside of the church. And I'm just saying that's a foundational thing, and it's a beautiful thing. And you need to see, if you're taking notes, number one, the power of that. Appreciate the beauty, the powerful, attractive beauty of a generous life, because that's really what I'm talking about. Tabitha was the kind of girl that could see a widow who could no longer provide new clothes for herself, saw a shabby tunic on her and said, wait a minute, let me stay up and make this happen. Gazelle was a good name for her, beautiful. Matter of fact, let me distinguish these two things in wisdom literature. Go with me to the last chapter of Proverbs, just before I put this point to bed. Let's just look at this passage. When the writer here in Proverbs compares the external form and beauty and the shiny eyes and the nice smile of the beautiful woman and says at the end of all of this, you know what, beauty is vain, right? It's fleeting. Charm is deceitful, right? How, how, how sweet and, and wonderfully she flips her hair over her shoulder, right? But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, right? That's what he says. Now, all of that doesn't mean that the gal that he's praising in the passage isn't beautiful, it's just the focus on this passage is a lot like the focus of Luke saying, you know, here is a beautiful woman right here. And let me explain to you what kind of woman that is. Now, I know you gulp when you think about Proverbs 31 and there's all kinds of things in it, but let me highlight just a couple of things that I think might just help us understand Tabitha a little bit better. Look at verse 16. She considers a field and she buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. And she perceives that her merchandise, her dealings, her marketplace work is profitable. And her lamp doesn't go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle, right? That's her stuff to make clothing. 
and she opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Now, I know the context here is going to include her household. She's going to love the people nearby, but I just want to show 16, 17, 18, and 19 all prepare us for this statement. She's got money in her bank account because she's, quote unquote, delivering pizzas so that she can see a need and meet it. It's the widow saying, look at the dresses that, that, that Tabitha made us. It's amazing. She made them. She didn't pass us a gift card. See, generosity is generosity when it's sacrificial. And some of you think you're generous because you let a few things out of your hands that really didn't cost you anything. When David wanted to be generous to God, he didn't let Aruna give him the threshing floor. He said, I'm going to pay for it because I'm not going to give the Lord something that doesn't cost me anything. And you ought to think that way, really, when you start evaluating how generous you are. How generous are you? Really, think about it. And I will tell you, at least biblically, in this particular strata of your character, I'm going to tell you how beautiful you are based on how generous you are. She was generous. And look at this passage. The, the, the woman that is praised here is a beautiful heart. Think about it. Verse 18, she perceives that all of this work she's doing is profitable. Why? So she can be rich? No. So she can dress her kids in the nicest? No, it talks about that. She does dress her kids well. But this passage is about her lamp not going out at night, not because she's watching the glow of her favorite TV show, because she's working at this mill, this, this what do they call that thing where they make clothing? That thing. She's doing all, she's staying up late at night because she's generous. It's sacrificial generosity. That's beautiful. And you know what? Non-Christians start to notice that. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. She's doing all of that, right? Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She's ready. She's prepared. All of that at the end, there's the punchline, verse 30. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands. Let her works praise her in the gates. And here we are, 2,000 years later. I'm just praising a woman that should rightly be praised, and she should be praised, Tabitha, because she was a beautiful woman, and I have no idea what she looked like. But she was generous. And you know what? The town thought she was beautiful. And I just wonder, how beautiful are you? The more beautiful you are, the harder it is to call you arrogant, narrow-minded, hypocritical. People give a lot of grace to people that are beautiful, right? You know that. And all I'm telling you is you can change the reputation that people have about us one person at a time, one coworker at a time, one neighbor at a time. Question is how generous are you? How much are you willing to work to show that people mean more to you than your stuff or your time or your convenience? Talk a lot around, around here about going the extra mile, staying the extra hour, and spending the extra dollar. And I'm saying all of that needs to happen to make sure that you let your light shine before men, that they might see your good works. What for? Because there's an evangelistic goal, that they might glorify your Father who's in heaven. I mean, that's really the point. That's the point when Jesus told the parable about the guy who worked for a master and ripped him off, but when he ripped him off, he showed that money could build a bridge for him to have a couch to sleep on when he got fired. Remember that parable? The shrewd servant? And at the end, he says, you know, those non-Christians, they use their money a lot more wisely than we do because we don't use our money the way we ought to to build the kind of bridges to say to people, I care more about you. I'm more sacrificially generous toward you than I am about me hoarding my money hoarding my time, protecting my weekends, making sure I'm not out another weekend, not having to get up early. We care more about you than all of that. And we're going to build bridges so that you might, the parallel is very clear, 
Not go to someone's couch and crash on it after we get fired, but they're going to welcome us into eternal dwellings. Now, how do they get there in the kingdom? Well, because they got one to Christ. I made friends by means of my money, which is an act of my sacrificial generosity. You need to appreciate the beauty of a generous life, and I'm just saying this. Look back at people that played that role in your pre-Christian testimony, and then say, I'd like to be in someone else's testimony. Back to our passage, Acts chapter 9, verse 37. Well, this is all about a resurrection, Pastor Mike. This is, this is, she rose from the dead. She popped up when Peter called her name out. Demonstration of power, get that. I wanted to make this point something like this, which wouldn't fly, but make sure they miss you when you die. Now, that'd be a good point. Because I'm telling you what, I just wonder what it takes to have this group of people say, go get Peter. He's only four hours away. It's going to take you four hours to get there, three or four hours, three or four hours to get back. I mean, we can wait six hours and fan this body and hope that everything's still okay. And let's, I don't know, can we get him back? Can we, can we get her back? We want her back. The beauty, attraction of a generous life is that when that beautiful, sacrificial, generous person is gone, people like, I don't want that person gone. They want her back. Now, I know the distinction between a real resurrection that hasn't happened yet. The only one that, that has ever happened is Christ, the real resurrection where they are resurrected into immortality, right? A body that is impervious to death and decay. It's only been one of those. He's the first fruits of those who will be resurrected. That's 1 Corinthians 15. But there have been some resuscitations. We call them resurrections because, man, they're, they're resurrections. Not they're, your heart skipped a beat or we, we did CPR on you and got you back. This is like they're dead. They're dead. So we know it's a miracle. We can put it into the, the rubric or the category of resurrection, but it really is a resuscitation because like Lazarus, like Jairus' daughter, they all go on to die. Tabitha died. Her body died later. But the resuscitation is an interesting thing. They loved her so much. They cherished her so much. They depended on her so much. The widows are saying, look at what she did for us. We want her back. I'd like to take that, if I can just, I don't know, stretch your theology, make sure you're, you're thinking this morning. I can take that picture of a righteous life that they want back and take that and put it down into this deeper foundational truth and say, isn't that really what the ultimate resurrection is like? Isn't it? Don't we want the righteous to be resurrected? Don't we want the good people to be resurrected? Oh, you're skating on thin ice. I thought you believed in grace. I do. I believe in grace. I believe we were saved by grace, right? Through faith, I get that. I understand that. As a matter of fact, let's quote the passage that you're trying to quote. Right, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I understand that we're saved by grace. It's not a result of our works that no one can boast. We cannot boast about it. We don't get saved by doing good things. I know that. But you do know verse 10, the thought's not done until we understand this, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You live those good works out and guess what? People will miss you when you're gone to the extent that you are really sacrificially generous. They will want you back. And you know what? There's gonna be a place where they're gonna get you back. The eternal state, the kingdom is gonna be filled with those that are resurrected who have been good. What? Really? Good, that's right. Good in a relative sense. I get that. There's none good but God alone. I've, I've read that passage too. I know that. But here's the idea. You need to have a life that befits not only people really mourning for you when you're lost because they'd love to have you back, but living life that befits that foundational paradigm, which is the resurrection of the righteous. 
Number two, let's put it down that way. I want to make sure I'm that way. Even just in a theological sense. I want to, I want to live the life. I want to be the life that befits the resurrection. Number two, be the life that befits, that's appropriate to, that, that makes sense, that is corresponding with the resurrection. Because here's what the Bible says about the resurrection. There's so many passages we could look at. Let me just quote a couple for you. How about this one? Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. It says this, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness, I don't know, like Tabitha, they'll shine like the stars forever and ever. Christ says you are to be light. Be light. Light in the world. You don't take light, hide it under a bushel. You are a light. You shine it. You put it on a hill and you let everyone see it. You put it on a pedestal, the lamp. And the Bible says, let them, so let your light shine before men. So people that are living those kinds of good lives, guess what? They then get resurrected and they all get assembled. It's the small gate and the narrow road. Proportionally, it's a small segment of society. But I'd like to be a part of that light shining group, the children of righteousness, not just judicial, justified righteousness. I get all of that. But you're saved for good works, real good works, works that are good that God loves, to quote the scripture, right? The Psalms say he loves, God is righteous. He loves these righteous works. He loves that. And he wants then to collect those people that do those righteous things and he wants to put them there. Is it of grace? I get it's of grace, but he puts them there. I'm stretching your theology now. And there becomes a place where all the righteous people get to live. And then it's on steroids because there's no flesh to encumber it. There's no tempter to, let it, to, to make us fall, to, to lead us into temptation. All that's done. The lights get like fuel poured on them and then they're burning brightly. They're, I mean, I'll just read it. They're, they're, like, they're like the brightness of the sky above. And people that are, are, are really making a difference in this world now, they're like shining like stars, like these, this eruption of the fusion of this light forever and ever. Old Testament, man, you don't know your Bible. That's Old Testament, Pastor Mike. I'm glad you said that. Matthew 13, Jesus talks about two destinies. He says the son of man is going to come, he's going to gather the kingdom, he's going to take all these lawbreakers, throw them into the fiery furnace. Verse 43 of Matthew 13 says, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. You got the darkness and the wicked, the unjust, the unrighteous, and then you have the righteous. And the righteous that are, that are doing righteous deeds, they get now placed into the kingdom where they can shine and there's no darkness around them. Are you saying we're saved by works? Not such a, I'm not saying that. Have I denied that charge yet to you? But I am saying this. If you are a Christian, you will practice righteousness and that righteousness befits eternal life. I want you to think, if your life was the kind of life that was going to inhabit the kingdom, is that what you would want there? Is that what you think what God would want? You think that's what I would want there? You think your friends would want that life there? I need you to be that life now. Oh, it'll be on steroids then. It will be inflamed then. He'll just put every fuel possible on that light, but the light needs to be shining now. Your sacrificial generosity, your good works, your acts of charity ought to be exploding now because then they will explode like the fusion of stars and the sun in the kingdom. If you want to turn to one, how about this? Luke 14. Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells a parable about a banquet. Look at verse 12. Luke 14, 12, if you can get there quickly. 
He said also to the man who had invited him to this dinner. He was at a dinner. So it's a good illustration, right? Apt on the circumstance, and here it comes. Hey, when you give a dinner or a banquet, which costs a lot, by the way, a lot of work, got to clean up afterwards, got to set up, got to get ready, got to clean off the chairs, a lot of work. Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. What? No, don't, 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 don't do that. Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. <laughs> so what's the point? Right? If everything you do is so that you can kind of have like the I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. I'll pick up the tab this time, but I know he's going to pick up the tab the next time. If that's, my, if that's my idea of generosity, which is really not generosity, because they know it's just like, we're going to have a party at my house this week, we'll have a party at your house next week, and I just said, we'll all share the work, and we'll, you know, I'll do it a little bit now, you do it later. If that's your idea, that's not generosity. It's not righteousness. As Jesus said elsewhere, right? the, 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 the sinners treat other sinners good when they know they can get good in return. Even the tax collectors, right? they're kind to the people that are kind to them. No, when you give a feast, I mean when you're pulling at all the stops, when you're ordering not just pizzas from Costco, but you're really preparing stuff in your oven all day long. When you got a feast going on, the barbecue's going, you're working, you're sweating, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, people that can't earn money so they don't have money in our society, in this ancient society, right? Uh, then you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed because they cannot repay you. That's real Dorcas Tabitha-style generosity. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, of the just. Dekaios, Greek word, the righteousness. The righteous are going to be practicing righteousness in this life, sacrificial generosity. They're going to be beautiful lives. They're going to be light shining in a dark place. And those lives not only are going to shine even more brightly in the kingdom, but God's going to dump all kinds of rewards on them. That's the life I want to live now. I'm not going to say, well, I'm really going to be righteous when I get there. I'll really be sacrificial when I get there. Then I'm going to go the extra mile, stay the extra hour, and spend the extra hour. Uh, I, I just can't wait to be in heaven because then I'll live righteously. Got to do it now. You're listening to Pastor Mike Fabares here on Focal Point with part two of a message called The City of Joppa, Prepared by a Godly Example. The complete uncut version of this message and this series are available on the Focal Point app and online at focalpointradio.org. Well, it's leap year, and we are leaping for joy because of the generous listeners just like you who make this program possible. Focal Point is heard on more than 825 radio stations and outlets across the United States and is accessible worldwide online and through the Focal Point mobile app. And this program is freely available because broadcasting and production costs are funded by our faithful listeners who share our desire to help others understand God's Word. If you're among those who support this program financially, I'd like to express our deep gratitude because your giving enables others to hear the truth and gain biblical wisdom. When you give today, we'll say thanks by sending you a helpful book titled Men Who Met God. 12 Life-Changing Encounters, written by beloved pastor A.W. Tozer. Discover what happened to the men who experienced walking and communing with God. I think you'll be encouraged as you read these remarkable stories of transformation. So make a donation today on Leap Year and request Men Who Met God by calling 888-320-5885 or give online at focalpointradio.org. If you prefer reaching out by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. 
And if you've never contacted us before, please get in touch and we'll gladly send you a helpful pamphlet called The Twelve Disciples. Find out more about the twelve regular guys whose lives were changed when they accepted the invitation to follow Jesus. It's freely available when you call 888-320-5885 or contact us online at focalpointradio.org. Well, the word love is used to express many different sentiments. Some say they love football. Others say they love lasagna. Some even croon love songs to their dog or cat. Well, tomorrow we're going to ask Pastor Mike, what is biblical love? I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Friday for more Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike. Or send me a note on facebook.com slash pastormike or twitter.com slash pastormike. I can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.